You are listening to the Nixon Now podcast. I'm Allie Fitzgerald-Smith. This podcast is brought to you by the Richard Nixon Foundation. We are broadcasting from the Charlie and Ling Jung studio at the Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. This is episode three in a three-part series examining the lasting environmental legacies of the Nixon administration. Joining us throughout this series is Bob Bostock, the author of a new permanent exhibit entitled The President and the Planet at the Nixon Library. Bob, for the last two weeks, we've discussed the state of the environment when President Nixon took office and the specific actions that he took while in office with respect to the environment. I'd like to talk today about the lasting legacies of the administration with respect to the environment. In a 1972 address, RN said, clean air, clean water, and open spaces should once again be the birthright of every American. How has the creation of the EPA affected American life for everyday Americans? Well, the creation of the EPA and the work that the agency has done over the past 50 years has been extraordinary. The condition of our air, our water, and our land and public health improvements are measurable and measured, and by every measure, you can see vast improvement in all of those areas. Interestingly, um, when I was at the EPA with Governor Whitman, we found out that the EPA had never done a study of exactly how much the environment has had improved. And this was in like 2001. So it was about 30 years after the EPA had been created. Um, it, they were measuring, you know, how many fines they, they levied and how many companies they, you know, put, put restrictions on and that sort of stuff, but they never actually measured the state of the environment. So in 1919, uh, or rather in 2001, EPA did a report on the state of the environment, and they've continued to update that over the past 20 years or so. And every single year, you can see, compared to 1970, the, the air quality, the water quality, the amount of polluted land, then as opposed to now, and you see huge improvements, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent improvements to the uh, to the extent that all of this can be measured and quantified to see the effectiveness of uh, the work that EPA has done. But also, you know, you don't need to go to the statistics to realize this yourself. Um, it's obvious every time you step out the door into the into the fresh air that it is fresh air. It's it's not smog. It's not brown air. It's not dirty air. Um, you can actually breathe it, and it's not going to uh, cause damage to your lungs. There's still some issues that need to be addressed, particularly something that's called particulate matter uh, at 2.5. Uh, well, everybody calls it PM 2.5. So there's still some particulate matter that needs to be addressed, but the improvement is huge. Um, acid rain, for instance, which was a huge problem that was killing forests all over the country. That was addressed in the 1990 Clean Air Act uh, that President George H.W. Bush signed. And you have seen acid rain, which was one of the top concerns of environmentalists and the public in uh, the 1980s and 1990s, has basically disappeared from concern because the law, which put in um, a market-based solution to addressing acid rain, has been so effective. Our oceans are so much cleaner. Anybody who ever goes to a beach can remember the days when either tar balls would be washing up or over here in New Jersey on the East Coast, we used to have garbage from New York City was dumped off the coast of New Jersey and you'd walk on the, along the beach and you'd find used hypodermic needles and all sorts of medical waste and other things. EPA worked 
with states and others to ban ocean dumping. So now if you go to the beach, whether it's in New Jersey or California or along the Gulf Coast, the things that wash up on the shore are shells and seaweed and things that belong there. So everybody in their everyday life can see the improvement that the EPA has made and that the laws and the regulations that the Congress has passed and various presidents have signed into law have made. You don't need to look at the statistics to know that the environment is just in so much better shape than it was 50 years ago. And that is due in large part to the work of the Environmental Protection Agency, one of President Nixon's greatest legacies, I think, in the domestic area. I should mention also that the EPA has worked very closely with uh, states and with other stakeholders across the country in promoting uh, practices that uh, help reduce pollution. For instance, the Energy Star program, which is uh, run jointly by the EPA and the Department of Energy, which encourages uh, companies to produce energy-efficient products, has reduced uh, pollution because an energy-efficient product requires less electricity to use, which means electrical generating plants don't have to produce as much electricity, which means that whether they're burning coal or natural gas or something else, they don't have to do that to the greatest extent that they did without these energy efficient products has reduced the pollution to the equivalent of taking like 10 or 20 million cars off of the road. So the EPA has been very strong in creating partnerships with business and with industry and with state, local and um, uh, county governments across the, across the country to work together in helping to reduce pollution and restore once polluted lands. The Superfund program, for instance, which was uh, passed in 1980, signed by President Carter, has identified uh, land areas that are so polluted they're basically unusable. And that has used federal money. Uh, and when they can find the people who are responsible for the polluting, those people, if, if that company is still around, has to kick in money to, to clean those sites up. And hundreds of sites across the country that were so polluted they, they were polluting the groundwater, the land on them was not usable, uh, have been cleaned up through programs like the Superfund program and the Brownfields program, which addresses areas that are not as polluted as a Superfund site, but are still polluted and can't be used uh, for any beneficial use. Those sites have been cleaned up all over the country, taking land that was white once basically just fenced off because it was polluted and a danger to people's uh, health, cleaning that up putting that back into, into beneficial use, which is good for the economy of the towns in which those sites are located, as well as the quality of life. You know, nobody wants to live a block away from a, a polluted site that has fence around it that says, you know, do not enter danger, danger, uh, environmental pollution. So it's, it's things like that, that, that everybody can see in their everyday life that has made a huge difference. And as you've mentioned, that's important for the overall public health of our nation. It absolutely is. Um, you know, breathing in dirty air, drinking dirty water is uh, is not good for your health. We saw that in Flint, uh, where they had changed the way they were treating the water and people were getting sick and the water was dirty. And, you know, it was a huge, huge problem because people need to be able to turn on the tap and expect that the water that comes out of the faucet is safe for them to drink. And uh, things like the Safe Drinking Water Act have made huge progress in ensuring that every American has access to clean, uh, safe water that is not going to endanger their health. Things like the um, 
emissions from cars that were that have been regulated uh, through the EPA, uh, where you, we've had to uh, reduce the the danger and the toxicity of of emissions from cars. One of the great things that was done was to uh, ban the use of lead in gasoline. Um, I, I've been around long enough that I can remember you go to the gas station and you say, you know, fill it up with unleaded or fill it up with leaded because you have both options um, at first. And then the lead was removed and lead in the air um, and in paint, also banned from paint. Lead in the air and paint has huge, horrible effects, particularly on young children. Uh, it delays their uh, development um, and can really cost them IQ points, if you will. It can really uh, damage their their brain that will affect them their entire lives. So getting paint uh, to be lead-free so that if you're living in a place and the paint is chipping or something, a kid, a small kid might put that in his mouth. He picks it up off the floor. Um, you know, that's that's no longer in paint. And the lead in the air, which was a huge problem, uh, no longer comes with gasoline. Um, and one of the things that uh, was done more recently, not that recently, 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, is while the use of lead in gasoline and emissions uh, from automobiles and trucks and things that travel across the nation's highways and roads uh, have been regulated, the uh, diesel engines on non-road equipment, off-road equipment like tractors and things like that, um, construction equipment was not regulated. Uh, the EPA put in a regulation about 20 years ago uh, requiring that the air, uh, that the emissions from diesel engines that are used off-road also had to be controlled. And when that was done, the National Resources Defense Council called that regulation uh, the best thing to happen for air quality since the removal of lead from gasoline. Um, so all these sorts of things, remediating cancer-causing asbestos has made a huge difference. Um, prohibiting, as I mentioned before, the ocean dumping. Protecting wetlands for development. Uh, because of the research done by the EPA and other agencies, NOAA and others, we've come to understand how important wetlands are for the health of the whole ecosystem. That in a lot of ways, they're almost... Uh, almost like an incubator for so much of the rest of the, the ecosystem. And they can be very effective also at keeping uh, water clean. So the biodiversity in a wetlands, is, it's incredible. It's amazing. And that has an effect on the entire uh, biota and the, the entire ecosystem. And so protecting wetlands from uh, indiscriminate development, another thing spearheaded by EPA, has made a huge difference in our environment and in our quality of life. And that's just some of it. <laughs> and that's just some of it. As we're some 50 years on now from the creation of the EPA, it can be easy to take for granted many of the protections that are provided. This is especially true in areas where we don't see the effects every day, such as the protection of endangered species. Um, can you talk a little about how the Endangered Species Act, which President Nixon signed into law in 1973, has impacted the environment and the species themselves, which were endangered. Sure. The Endangered Species Act is, is one of the most consequential uh, laws that, that, that President Nixon signed. Uh, he signed it in 1973, and it reversed really more than a century of careless stewardship of America's animal life. In the 20th century, we saw all sorts of animals that... Uh, that we thought would could never be extinct, either either hunted to extinction, 
uh, or near extinction. Uh, for instance, nobody alive, I don't think, unless they're very, very old, has ever seen a passenger pigeon. Passenger pigeons were once so abundant in this country that huge flocks of them would literally darken the skies when they would fly over. It, it, they would like blot out the sun because there were so many of them. But their plumage was uh, used in uh, hats and things during, I guess, the late 19th, early 20th century. So they were hunted to extinction. Uh, this animals, these animals that once literally darkened the sky are gone forever. Um, bison and buffalo, which once roamed the plains of this country in by the millions, uh, were, were hunted to the verge of extinction. But thanks to the Endangered Species Act, they did not go extinct. And we, and we now have a far more healthier uh, population of bison, which are such an iconic American uh, animal. Uh, the bald eagle, because of the use of DDT, the shells of the eggs laid by the female bald eagles were so thin that the eagles literally could not incubate them. If they sat on the eggs to incubate them, the eggs would be crushed, the shells would break, the eggs would be crushed, and they would, and the, obviously they're not hatching any young eaglets. Um, now the, the, the Endangered Species Act has brought the bald eagle not just back from the brink of extinction, but has been removed from the endangered species list because the efforts to protect its uh, protect the environment and do away with the things that were threatening it uh, have have enabled this bird, our national bird, to come back in numbers that were unimaginable uh, 50 years ago. I, when I was at the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection, I spoke with one of the people who was in charge of, in New Jersey, of bringing back the bald eagle. And she told me a fascinating story, which I think is probably replicated across the country. In 1970, there was one nesting pair of bald eagles left in the state of New Jersey. One nesting pair. Wow. So what So what the, um, what the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection did is they actually hired a guy who could climb up a tree, like 150 feet to where there was a, a huge eagle's nest, and they were monitoring it, and they saw when the female laid the eggs. This guy climbed up the tree, removed the eggs from the nest, replaced them with duplicate eggs that were made of wood, brought the eggs down. The um, eagles were incubating what they thought were eggs, but they were actually wooden eggs. The eggs that were brought down, I'll never forget the person who described it. She said, we found some very light chickens that were able to incubate the eagle's egg, eggs. Oh, wow. When they, yes, when they hatched, the same fellow climbed up this tree 150 feet, again, when the eagles were flying around, because uh, they wouldn't have liked it if they, if they were there, and they had very sharp talons that would have made a mess of his face. Um, put the eagle, took the wooden eggs out, put the eaglets in, and the uh, eagle pair raised those eaglets as if they were incubated by themselves, didn't know that they had been sitting on wooden eggs. And now today in the state of New Jersey, from one nesting pair uh, 50 years ago, now there are more than 150 nesting wow. pairs of eagles in this state. And, you know, we're a small state. We're one of the smallest states uh, geographically in the country. And we're the most densely populated state in the Union. Uh, but you can go anywhere in the state of New Jersey and see bald eagles um, because they have rebounded so well. And that is true across the country. So the Endangered Species Act has brought literally dozens of 
uh, animals back from the brink of extinction. And I think uh, one of the fun things about the exhibit, the new exhibit at the library, the president of the planet, is there are uh, cast in concrete and, and throughout the exhibit, the footprints of a number of, of uh, endangered species that uh, when school kids come to see the exhibit, they'll be given a, a list of where these foot of what the footprints are, and they can walk around and try and find the footprints, these different casts of the footprints, footprints, everything from a grizzly bear to um, something called the Mount Graham red squirrel, uh, things as big as a polar bear and a bison to uh, things as small as a California salamander and uh, a Utah prairie dog. So that'll be a really fun thing in the exhibit for uh, really for people of all ages to see if they can find these footprints, the cast, the in concrete of the footprints and identify them and see if they can check off the, the entire list and, and uh, see th those footprints give a huge visual picture of the diversity of the animals that have been saved. Like I said, from little salamanders to grizzly bears and and uh, polar bears and, and uh, bison, you know, from tiny little things to very big things. Yes, and in the exhibit... In the exhibit, we point out that in other history museums, students might find uh, dinosaur prints. Um, but in our museum, we have prints of animals that are not extinct now because of the actions of President Nixon and the EPA. I think it's a really powerful message for children and for people of all ages of the, the great impact that the EPA has had on animal life in this country. Um, in a similar vein, Nixon signed the Landmark Marine Mammal Protection Act in 1972, why is the MMPA important and how is it depicted in the exhibit? Well, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, um, which, as you mentioned, was signed in late, late October of 1972, uh, protects marine mammals, things like porpoises and dolphins and whales and seals and sea lions and otters and, and manatees uh, from being uh, either harassed, from being fed by people, uh, from being hunted, captured, um, or otherwise disturbed. This law was so important because we were seeing huge drops in the population of marine mammals uh, along uh, every part of America's coastline, um, from, from all the way up north, you know, in Alaska, all the way down Gulf of Mexico, and all the way up the East Coast, and even around the Hawaiian Islands because of loss of habitat, uh, because of hunting, uh, because of pollution, uh, these animals were all being uh, very seriously threatened. By enacting this law, we have seen, again, those populations rebound in ways that uh, nobody would have expected. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I was out in California going to a beach and seeing lying on rocks uh, some sea lions. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. And uh, New Jersey, where I'm from, uh, you'll see some dolphins swimming just beyond the surf line, uh, groups of them just coming up out of the water and back in and up. I mean, it's like watching a ballet. It's such fun. Uh, things like uh, rays. I, I remember one time uh, we were wading in the ocean and there was this whole group of uh, cow-nosed rays, they were called, that were literally playing in the waves. They would, you'd see them come up and ride the wave. And just as the wave was about to break, they turn and go back out into the water beyond the surf line. And then they come and do it again. And things like that, you know, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, you hardly ever saw things like that. So anything like that at all. Um, but the 
marine mammals have rebounded uh, so well over the uh, period of since they've since the signing of the Marine Mammal Protection Act, that they're now kind of a regular part of any visit to any coast in the United States, which is not to say that, you know, they're completely uh, out of the woods, if you will, or or out of danger. Um, there are still people who want to hunt them or harass them and, and make it difficult for them to be around. But fortunately, because of the protections afforded by the Marine Mammal Protection Act, anybody who does try and mess with marine mammals is, is held accountable and play, pays a real price for for that unwise behavior. And that is depicted on the reflective pool with really interesting and intricate sculptures um, across the entire base of the pool. Yeah, it's, it's great. And I think it's going to be one of the most popular aspects of what I think is going to be a very, very popular exhibit. There's on the wall, uh, kind of in relief, are these sculptures of uh, everything from porpoises to uh, polar bears to sea otters, which are such fun to watch, to manatees. And uh, people will be able to uh, read a, a little plaque that tells about the Marine Mammal Protection Act, but then see these really charming uh, sculptures uh, fixed to the, the wall that holds the, one of the walls of the reflecting pool uh, to really just appreciate, again, the fact that animals like these are still around and they're, they're still in nature and still doing well. As a, as a result of this act that uh, came in a lot of ways just in the nick of time before the population of these animals was um, severely diminished and, and perhaps even some of them become extinct. Well, Bob, as we come to the close of our three-part series about the EPA, is there anything else you'd like to add about your experience working with the agency or President Nixon's legacy or this exhibit? Well, I would just say that you know, I was at the, I was at the EPA uh, from 2001 till most of 2003. So, you know, 30 years on uh, from the creation of the exhibit, and the agency, in my experience, has a huge uh, collection of people who are really committed to the mission of the agency, protecting the environment, but doing it in a way that doesn't cripple the economy. Uh, it has such an outstanding group of scientists of um, regulators, of people in the enforcement area that are really concerned about the environment, have really dedicated their mission to it, and they do a very effective job. But one of the things that always um, uh, that I always enjoyed hearing uh, in talking to some of the career people, who, who many of whom, when I was there, had been there since the agency was founded, was their appreciation for the fact that President Nixon had established the agency had been an effective advocate for laws that gave the agency the power and authority to really make a difference in our environment. And I can't tell you how many say how many people said to me over the time that I was there that if it hadn't been for the vision and the effective leadership of President Nixon and the people in his administration, the environment would be in unimaginably worse shape. Uh, it'd be an, un I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that again, because we're not in worse shape. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people over the th uh, three, almost three years that I was at the agency, how many people who were career um, civil servants at the agency would tell me how appreciative they were of the fact that President Nixon had the vision and the effectiveness to enact the laws and to create the agency that has done so much to protect and restore America's environment 
over the past 50 years. President Nixon's legacy is very much alive at the EPA. Um, the people there know it. They understand it. And now I certainly hope through this podcast and particularly through the new exhibit at the Nixon Library, the President of the Planet, President Nixon's Environmental Legacy, more and more people will come to understand that while President Nixon is well known as a brilliant strategist in foreign policy, that his domestic policy record is also outstanding. And one of the most, if perhaps the most outstanding part of that domestic policy record is what he did for the state of the environment. He literally has made our air cleaner, our water purer, and our land and public health better protected because of the work he did as president. We were proud to open the President and the Planet exhibit here at the Nixon Library on the 50th anniversary of the establishment of the EPA. At this time, the at the time of this recording, the President and the Planet is closed to the public along with all other museum spaces because of COVID-related closures. However, we hope to welcome you back to explore the new permanent exhibit very soon. You can watch the virtual opening ceremony of the exhibit at nixonfoundation.org. It features panel discussions from historical and environmental experts, a discussion with Governor Schwarzenegger, and uh, participation from members of the Nixon family. We encourage you to watch that virtual opening ceremony at nixonfoundation.org. For the latest updates, please follow us on social media at Nixon Foundation or on our website, again, nixonfoundation.org. Thank you for listening to the Nixon Now podcast. Our guest today was Bob Bostock, the author of The President and the Planet, a new permanent exhibit at the Nixon Library. Please subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.